Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Or North on AM 1500 KSTP St. Paul, Minneapolis, 94.5 KSTP FM St. Paul HD2 and on scorenorth.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. And welcome to Purple Daily on the all-new Score North AM 1500, scorenorth.com, all those good places in which you can now hear us. Zolgad, Matthew Collar, and Courtney Cronin, ESPN, welcome. Thank you for having me. Now, you are in today because you're not going to be in next Tuesday, Not going to be in next correct? Tuesday, and because I needed, I just, I needed to be around you, because I, it's been a minute <laughs> since the new transition, and I haven't had any fire takes, I haven't had any just absurd comments about the kicking game. Um, I need some predictions. I need. No some... one's been fired. No one's been fired. I mean, yeah. What's it say behind you? How many days? Twenty. Has that been updated? Twenty days. Twenty days since, since a Minnesota. Tips? Yeah, since a Minnesota coach has been fired. Now, are, are you going on a uh, trip here? Ooh, now, I hold am. on, hold on. I got the... bad news though. Real quick, you know, you oh, know the cur- you know happen. the curse of oh, the yeah. trip, right? Yeah. But now, if the Vikings make coaching changes, because uh, I got an email about several coaches being removed, removed from the yeah. website, I want to know who's Does sending that, that like mass email out to individuals. Wait, wait, what's going on? We got in, both of us guys. Assume we got the same email. Should, I get like updates on this, like. Clancy Barone has been removed from the Vikings website. Terrence Newman has been removed from the Vikings website. Uh, Drew Petzing has been removed from the Vikings website. It's like someone's literally sitting there refreshing this thing. It's either that or it's someone in the building. So. Would you be surprised at all, though, with Terrence Newman if he didn't want to come back for another year? No, not at all. Because I think that this was a harder transition than more people realized for him coming off of, you know, Basically, right before training camp, they're like, you got to retire because we need that spot. And mm-hmm. he's forced into coaching in a way. And I think he did a good job with Holton Hill, Mackenzie Alexander, Mike Hughes for the time that he played. But I think that there might be, and just from some things I'm hearing, just, you know, more of an internal thing for him, too, of that transition was a lot harder. That it, it, He had to make it. He had to expedite it. And I think that was harder for him than most people realized. It's also... Uh, a really different gig. It's not yeah. you just get to show up like a player and, and yes. take your same approach and do things your way. Now all of a sudden, especially someone who had been around for such a long time, he had power, sort of make his own hours type of thing, that he would run his own sessions and kind of own that room. But then all of a sudden you have to be sort of rank and file as a coach and the hours are way different. You're staying there, especially Zimmer wants everyone to grind until the end of time, right? Yeah. And if you made as much as Terrence Newman made, if he doesn't truly love that part of it and maybe wants to be uh, in something else in football or go start a business or whatever it's going to be for his Play future. golf. Yeah, I've heard he's a very good golfer. Just go drink wine. I would do I would do that. Right. I if mean, you're that is rich. that a job? Is that a job? Could I do that professionally? He probably never Call had a chance wife. to decompress, yeah, like to, yeah, to back away from football and take some time off. And I also think there's something to be said about not everybody is made to be a coach. Yeah. And that's not to say, but, but Terrence was the mentor in that defensive backroom for years. He kind of, as Matt said, like had like this pseudo coaching role where, you know, you look to him for advice. If you need extra time, extra help, you're going to go to him. But you know, to do that full time, to really fully transition into that, where that is your professional title, I think is a little difficult. There's got to be a difference too between uh, playing and helping guys, and, and then yeah. and then on game day, you're all together, right? And you're executing, and they're doing well, and you're like, "This is great." And then removing yourself completely from that, so you're helping guys, but you can't play. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I, I would think that's a big step. And there's got to be a big difference between mentoring, but I'm, but you're my teammate, and then being, okay, now I'm your boss, and I don't get to play the game, and this really is not that much fun. Yeah, I think it's a, a difficult transition to make, but I would say that as a position coach, potentially for his post-football career, even if he doesn't stay here and stay on this coaching staff, I think that is the right thing for him, just maybe down the road. That just in my dealings, yeah, in my dealings with him, sure. I think he could be a head coach. He's one of the few guys that you ever run into that doesn't just understand his position. He understands every single position, everything that's going on in the field at once, and that could be what he decides to do. But throwing himself into the situation after doing a training camp as a player is a really tough spot. So I would understand if he wanted to back away first and say, all right, let me take some time off away from football and then decide whether to get back in. He's a guy that is so well-respected that if he wants to, someone is going to give him a job pretty much whenever he asks. And I think the thing here, too, is with the coaching changes, as you mentioned, there will probably be some news. Now Now the Super Bowl is going to be over by the time yeah. we're talking about this yeah. next week or time you guys are talking and about it next week. And you're gone, so for sure changes are coming. Oh, absolutely. I'll be like on the side of a mountain. It'll be like yeah. offensive line coach is named, <laughs> special teams coach is officially named, things like that. But we... Can infer too. I mean, with Clancy Barone, we we know with Gary Kubiak being here that there's some sort of package deal stuff going on in terms of who you know his voice and, and who he wants to bring in and help bring you know in the in that realm for the offensive line job. That's why I think Rick Dennison's name was thrown in there right away. Um, but it's kind of weird that that's taken as long. To I get wonder sorted if they know out. and we're just waiting because I think that every other team is not supposed to break news during this week. Is that right? Well, yeah, but, but I mean, that could have weeks. been last week. They, yeah. they, that, that was two weeks ago. That was the 14th of January that those hires came through. So, I mean, there's there's time for, for that stuff to happen. But I do anticipate come you know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, this coaching staff at least will start to piece together a little bit more. I kind of feel bad for Clancy Barone. Talk about a guy who was thrown into a tough spot oh, yeah. when yeah. Tony Sperano passed away. And then he didn't have his offseason to even think about what he would do with the offensive line. And having talked to Clancy, I, I thought he was a really bright guy and knew his offensive line. I believe he won the Super Bowl as yeah. an offensive line he was, coach he was with in the Denver. Broncos. Yeah. And at the end of the year, when Mike Zimmer talked about, well, Tony Sperano was big for this and big for this and big for this, it was like kind of made Clancy Barone look bad, but it was not an easy spot for him. And Clancy was supposed to be tight ends coach, correct? Yeah. Correct. Yes. And Downing was supposed to come in as some, like Todd a, was going to be Senior some, offensive assistant. Yeah. Yeah, and so th- those guys got thrown in then. The number of jobs that are out there on these teams is yeah. crazy. Well, and, and Todd's moved on. He He's Tennessee, with right? Tennessee now. Offensive line coach would be, I, I think, incredibly difficult. Like, that's oh, one yeah. that's one job where where if I did that job and you came to me and I knew I was good, I want a lot of money. I want a lot. I mean, it, it controls the entire team. It controls the entire offense. And I think the thing that was just a little interesting with the Clancy Brown situation, you know, I understand with Andrew Janoco. I mean, they made it, they, this was a way kind of to mitigate, you know, having to bring outside voices in when Tony Sperano passes to make them both co offensive line coaches. But in reality, I mean, you have a guy like Clancy Brown who has been doing this decades and won a Super Bowl. I think I don't you know, I don't know. I mean you just took you kinda of look at the way that that looks. Like why would he not why would Janoko not just stay in the job that he was at as the offensive line assistant and make you know I think that sometimes there's too many voices. That's what I felt all year. And I mean, in talking to players and in just kind of the way the offensive line shook out, that's the vibe that I got. You know, it's interesting when you look at the New England Patriots, their offensive line's getting a ton of praise and they deserve it. They played extremely well in the AFC Championship. They have all sorts of different run schemes that they can use. Sometimes it's a zone, sometimes it's power schemes. You have guys pulling and adapting quickly to what they see at the line of scrimmage. I was watching last night uh, Peyton Manning's detail where he breaks down the AFC Championship looking at Tom Brady and there's one particular instance where he can't hear anything and he's trying to get David Andrews the center his attention and he makes a change real quick Andrews looks to his left looks to his right and then they snap the ball and those guys are right on point mm-hmm. and one of the things that I noticed when looking through this is the Patriots have had the same offensive lineman for a few years, and they've developed them under the same offensive line coach. And I think about how much that matters for the Vikings going forward. So you've got 
Pat Elfline, and you've got Brian O'Neill that you're going to be working with going forward. You have to find the guys that you're going to stick with and develop them, and the offensive line coach that you're going to stick with and develop them under one coach with one technique and one idea and let these guys master it because I think you see the benefits of that. Four out of the five offensive linemen for the Patriots have been there for a few years and developed, and then they just brought in one left tackle last year in the offseason. Is Elfline long-term here? A center or a guard, do you guys think? I'm not getting off the center train until I have to. I think he's a center that was put in a really tough position this year. And And, and he was hurt, too. And he was hurt. He's playing with two surgically repaired body parts, which I don't think people take into consideration when they want to write him off and say, well, he's never going to get back to the version he was as a rookie. (laughs) Are they saying that already? That's what that's I mean, yeah, I've gotten that for, for, for months that, you know, I don't think he's ever going to get back to where he was. You know, he's a different player now. Well, I mean, the guy had to go out there barefoot yeah. during warmups to get feeling in his ankle. Yeah. Oh, did he really? Yes, that oh, was I, I, I saw him doing it. Uh, the Jets game was really cold and yeah. it was a wind tunnel down there. And I'm like, why is he barefoot? And so I went <laughs> and asked him after the game and he said, because it's, now that's a reporter. I know. Good job. Perceptive. Good um, job. I went down there. I mean, well, I went to the locker room afterwards yeah. and I asked him about it. And it's, you know, it's just interesting t- when people talk about off season surgeries and, and things that happen between the months of January and training camp. I mean, we talk, we're talking about Mike Hughes now. Will he be ready? That's the million dollar question. Well, you think, okay, if the timetable for this ACL can follow Dalvin Cooks, because from what we heard, it's a very similar tear where there's not a lot of other, lot of other ligament damage, mm-hmm. they should be ready. But like you just never know. Bodies take a long time to respond, and they all respond differently, which I think with a guy like Pat Elfline, where it's the shoulder surgery and then it's the ankle surgery, it's, it was a lot on top of each other. And when you look at what he had to face this year, too. They faced Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox in his first two starts, mm-hmm. and then Akeem Hicks twice. There's the top three defensive tackles in four games. And when you look at his just pro football focus grades, those are usually the games where he's having the most trouble. And I think pretty much any NFC center would. And I was looking over just by position over the league, how many of the centers in the NFC put together big PFF grades? Not that many because they're facing a murderer's row of defensive tackles. And that's always going to be tough. And I also felt like Pat Elfline didn't get a whole lot of scheme help from John Filippo either. I mean, we saw him in 2017 getting out there on screens all the time, doing the, the zone blocking, which I thought was really his strength. And there wasn't so much of that. It was a lot of lineup and face Akeem Hicks one-on-one and get blown up because Hicks is just an unbelievable player. I don't think that Elfline is ever going to be the number one center in the NFL. But if you're bailing after two years because he had a, a lot of tough circumstances in year two, I think that that would be a mistake. There's also the leadership point of being a center is huge, mm-hmm. and the other players rave about Pat Elfline from this standpoint. And I talked to Jeremiah Searles last season, who used to play with the Vikings, and he went into great detail on the Purple Podcast about how Elfline came in as a rookie and really showed that he was ready not only just to understand the NFL but to be a leader, and that's not so easy to find. And I think, you know, over time, like as a, as a rookie to where he's now going to be going into year three, I think your pulling ability gets better. Better, I think your inline blocking gets better. Your downfield blocking, like just, you know, how quickly you can move laterally. Those things take time. And he was what? He was the first um, first rookie center to start since who? That was, that was the big thing going into 2017. I mean, he had a major, major responsibility as a rookie. And he was really good. And he was very, very good. So he got hurt, yeah. And so... That brings to, I think, a different argument here, like what we talked about on Tuesday, what what they do in free agency. If you go out and you pay top dollar for a guard to put next to Pat Elfline and potentially next to, whether, yes. I think left guard's the first one. They, I mean, they impact each other, and, for and, sure. and that, helps, that helps both positions. That helps your left tackle. That helps your center. Absolutely. So I think that that really does make the argument to why they need to make the offensive line a top priority, but not just in the draft, in free agency. And you, you think about the names, the Roger Saffolds of the world. Like, those are who you should be focusing on, and, and that should be your target. But it's, it's a great point about the players to his left and right and who they were in 2017, 
not only just better players in Joe Berger and Nick Easton, but also those guys were really tight. I mean, they had all been centers before. They all understood yeah. what reads were supposed to be made there. He had good support from those guys and mm-hmm. also similar players, especially Easton with his athleticism and his quickness. And those guys worked really well with chemistry there. I never thought there was anywhere close. Remmers was just trying to hold on for dear life each week. That was yeah. un- that was unfair. It was unfair. I still to him. contend that was not fair. And, to him. Hit, and you know he gets hammered every week by the fans. Like yeah. this guy has never Wasn't played really... guard before. And I mean, he was the only one of the bunch that could do it. Which, when you're taking a look at the interior play and and what needs to be fixed in terms of pass protection, I mean, you need to get better athletes in there. You have two, you had two very average athletes. Mike Remmer's probably a little bit. I mean, in terms of athleticism, probably a little bit better than Tom Compton. But either way, you're looking at very middle of the pack, C plus level athletes right here. And and whether you want more finesse players in there, I don't know. I mean, I think that that's something that they have to look at when they're figuring out. Okay, what is the identity of this offensive line? If we want to be a zone blocking team, we need to get better. Athletes. physical athletes Abs- in here. That's got to be the first thing you look at. So who's back on, on opening day of camp? Who's back right now? Reef probably, although I would look to upgrade there, but it's tough. Yeah. Reef probably, Elfline, whom else? O'Neal. Okay, at right tackle for sure. Yes. There's a so few, he starts, okay. A few interesting things about that. With Reef, his contract, you can't really move on from it. But I am thinking of Riley Reef the same way we think about quarterbacks, where the general rule of thumb is you shouldn't pay them too much unless you have an elite one, or if you can get one on a rookie contract, that's how you're going to build to win. That's usually the way that it's worked out over the last few years since these quarterback contracts exploded. But I think left tackle is the same way. If you can't find one who is elite, you shouldn't pay him what they pay Riley Reef. So they should be looking to get out from under Riley Reef as soon as they can. Now, that can't happen with him being cut. They're probably not going to trade him because the other options aren't great. But I look at this as the draft. It, finding a starting left tackle for the future in the draft should yeah. be a main priority. And I'm not convinced just because of a decent half year by Brian O'Neill, which was just okay. And I think some people thought was better than it was because he had good well, he was sack a bright, against numbers. It, it, that, well, the whole sacks allowed thing, the PFF stat, I mean, it, it's it a little inflated. It can tell inflated. you sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the numbers there are not exactly straightforward. And but we, I do and, think that, you know, with a, I mean, it's a bright spot on a pretty sour unit. And don't forget, we initially thought he was going to be a disaster and he wasn't. We thought he was going to be a project. Exactly. But so I I think that we all said it's not that bad because in relation to what what was going on elsewhere on that line, it wasn't awful, but that doesn't make it great. It wasn't, but Pro Football Focus had him 53rd out of 61 tackles. Yeah. So it also wasn't good. He it's was all relative. He was getting blown up a lot, and one of the, he was one of the reasons why Kirk Cousins had to get rid of the ball so quickly on so many occasions. So I think there is some thought that he's going to take this big leap forward. It's very much we'll see with that. He is the starting right tackle, though. There's no question no. there. I just think when we get to the draft, if you're talking about a potential future left tackle there in the draft, just like the Detroit Lions did when they had Riley Reef, you draft the Taylor Decker you take that person, even though fans are going to want you to fill the right guard right away, it to me is a smarter play to draft the left tackle and try to develop that person to take over for Riley Reef. And the fact of the matter is I don't want to, like if I'm the Vikings, I don't want to overpay for a guard in free agency. The guard market's not very deep, but I think that I agree with you. I think that you're going to look to the draft to try to build your future, your franchise left tackle. Although I think Brian O'Neill is probably your franchise left tackle. I'm not sure about that. Yet. Um, He's going to have to show that he is going to have to show it, but I think he has the potential to be, if I think we can yeah. move on from reef and eventually if, if it all pans out the way it should, he could be your left tackle, but build your tackles, build your bookends through the, through the draft and, and try to upgrade however you can in, in on the interior. And if they drafted three offensive linemen with the first three picks, I don't think a single Vikings fan would be upset. And and that is the approach that they should take with this offseason is as many bodies as you can bring in because it's always piecemealing it together year after year after year. And even the 2017 line, they cut Alex Boone on the last day, and then Pat <laughs> Shermer schemed a lot of their help. They were good early in the season, but when they had some injuries, they still had some problems. That's my question. How much of this, and and we all know that, that you need to improve the personnel for sure, how much of this is possibly also fixed with scheme? So how much of this oh, oh, can... A lot. Right, but I'm saying, so... so all of a sudden, all of these guys who look terrible 
there's one who now thrives if the scheme changes to the right thing. Sure. I think that that's... I'm not saying that's the fix. I'm saying how, how much possible. the fix can that be? The answer, the answer to me is Elf Line could improve a lot with running the zone scheme more often and the screen passes and the rollouts and the bootlegs and all those things. When I've been, well, talking with Sage Rosenfels on the Purple Podcast has really helped because he played for Gary Kubiak for several years. And his big thing is Kubiak finds ways to not only help quarterbacks, but also help offensive linemen play to their strengths. Mm -hmm. And he pointed out that if you go back and look at some of those Houston Texans offensive linemen, they aren't all first-round picks who became pro bowlers and good players. When he was talking about, let me try to pull it up, but I mean, there's... What he said kind of in, in just like the gist of it was that their outside zone gain leads to their play action. So it helps your offensive line. It helps Kirk Cousins. I think that that's, you know, twofold right there is what you're looking at. Absolutely. And, you know, I think he's going to get a moving too. That was yeah. the thing that we just saw so many times. Just we're all going to. We're going to just stand in one spot and block our man in the shotgun, and it's just not going to work with this offensive line. It kind of blew my mind sometimes that they weren't moving Pat Elfline more often. And even Mike Remmers is not super slow. He can move and get out in space, but too many times it was standing there trying to dig in one-on-one with someone more talented. Yeah, so here's when he was in Houston, when Sage was in Houston, this is what he was referring to that. So they had Dwayne Brown, who was there. They drafted him at uh, left tackle. He went to two Pro Bowls under Kubiak when he was there. Chris Myers was the one he said that was his. It's a six round center. He went to the Pro Bowl, mm-hmm. I believe, in 2011 and in 2012. And then Wade Smith, who was just all over the place at left guard, went again in 2000, went in 2012. So he turns you know, no-name, journeyman-type talent into pro bowlers. And that's not necessarily, you know, you can't change players, but you can scheme around them to make them better, to play to their strength, which is what they need to do to Kirk. I mean, that's where it Absol- all starts. Yes, absolutely. And, yes. the, and the more that I look at the pro football-focused data, I come away with... Kirk Cousins was exactly who Kirk Cousins always is. Mm -hmm. There was the Kirk coaster. There were the ups and downs. There were the games he didn't show. They're they're always going to be there with Kirk Cousins. He is not going to take risks. He's not going to scramble on the run like Pat Mahomes and throw when he's not looking at his receiver. He's not going to do those things. But you also see in the numbers where a lot of the quarterbacks who have success on the short, quick passes and things like that, they have good screen games. Well, screen game doesn't take any special execution all the time by a quarterback, right? He's got to be accurate with it, which, which he's not. <laughs> which he's Except not you always. Can't throw a, right. You can't he's throw not. a pick. Can't throw, and you can't throw <laughs> it behind you. So, well, yes, it does take some abilities. It, it's true. They, I mean, but, when, you, when you're watching the defensive end shoulder to, make, to see if he's going to be coming at you, I think that... That's why, I mean, Kirk gets the yips back there. I mean, he, he's terrified on screen passes. But the, the numbers from PFF for his accuracy on screens were below average, but not so much where you'd say, like, this guy can't throw a screen. Manufacturing yards is a huge thing, and I think that starts with the blocking schemes for those screen passes that a lot of times under Shermer we saw, and people act like the offensive line was more talented. It really wasn't. I mean, guys were getting hurt. A lot. So five guys playing new positions. And Searles was in. Isadora was mixing in. Like and and yet they still found ways to scheme the offensive line to what it did best. Absolutely. That's where we're going to see, I think, more success in 2019. Let's take a break. More purple daily after this on the all new Score North. We is what you listen to doesn't come from just one source. We offer Minnesota sports. Minnesota sports. Lots of it. Whenever you want it. Wherever you are. Even when you're mobile, on the move, remain grounded with access to the content that you're passionate about. Get it all here. Score North. Minnesota sports. Anytime. Anywhere. Scorenorth.com. Constant coverage on your phone, your computer, your smart speakers, your radio. You hear that? Feast your ears. Scorenorth.com. All right, Purple Daily continues on uh, the all-new Score North. We are in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Zolgad, Matthew Collar, and Courtney Cronin, ESPN.com, stopping by. She, of course, covers the Vikings. Uh, let's talk some Super Bowl. We're finally past all the BS, I think. Or, or we're close, right? We're past the media sessions where people ask their wacky questions. We're past, We're finally to, to a point. The buildup this year I don't care about. I just don't care. I'm actually... Looking forward to the game itself, though. I think the oh, game I'm is jacked. going to, and the McVeigh Belichick matchup to me is going to be a lot of fun. Well, here's the interesting thing. I don't know if we're really past the um, 
newsworthy headlines yet. Tom Pelissero of NFL Network just tweeted that Rams uh, running back Jared or Todd Gurley said Jared Goff has been nervous all week and was throwing up earlier today. That's not a good sign if the game's in He's, four days. He says Gurley was kidding. Read the full tweet. I didn't see the full <laughs> Wait a second. No, that just showed up. Let me see. Hold on. Tom Pelissero. Right there. He says, yes, Gurley was kidding. So he must have maybe deleted the original tweet that you oh, saw man. and added that because it was blowing you up. You know what, though? Darn. No, Gurley let, let, wasn't let, kidding. Let's go for it. He let's... wasn't kidding. <laughs> And and his coach probably said, why the hell are you telling people this about our quarterback? <laughs> so it's absolutely, I think this is gospel. I think Tommy Good tweeted stuff. the truth, <laughs> Gurley got pushback, and now we are rescinding the story because Goff is hanging over the porcelain god right now. Or we can just say right that now, I probably got it wrong. Puking I'll his guts out. I'll fall on it, the sword it's for much that more, one. It's much more fun I'm if, with you. if Jared Goff is vomiting right now. It's a much better story. <laughs> I think that... He's got uh, norovirus. We could start that rumor. Goff really... Who's back quarterback? He really showed something in that NFC Championship game, though. If he was going to vomit all over himself, then he would have done it in the second half of that game that they got behind early on. And it was really impressive to me how he led them down the stretch. Of course, they should have lost because of the call. But then when it got to overtime, he was the one that led the drive. It was... It was impressive to see some of his plays under pressure. The Saints defense is not unbelievable, but they did get after him at times, and he made big-time throws. Was Gurley hurt, do we think? He said he wasn't. I, know, I think there's something lingering from the knee. Okay. I really do. I'm not buying why that. Why would that happen? In, in all games, he had, what, six six uh, receiving yards total and in Mc- that game? Dropped a bunch. Yeah, but McVay's not going to just be like, yeah, you're having a rough day. And by the way, it's the conference title game, so you're not going to play. I'm not buying that for one second. You know what it reminded me of? Because I couldn't figure this out, what it was. Was it, was it just nerves for Todd Gurley? It reminded me of Terrell Owens in the divisional game against the 49ers where he makes the unbelievable catch at the end. Uh, and I was watching that game back, and Owens dropped like four passes in that game and fumbled. Sometimes somebody just has a really, really awful day, and McVay just pulled them right off the field. I think it says something, though, to just, we talk about the genius of Sean McVay, but just being able to scheme around that, you're arguably yeah. your best player is not having a good game, or he's hurt, or there's a combination of both, and you use this bowling ball and C.J. Anderson to... To, to do what he did against... Um, Just because he is slightly overweight does not hey, make, make him a bowling ball. I think he enjoys that. He said... What, what did he say on Tuesday? Why are you about, so defensive like, about that, Judd? Fat people got feelings, too. I know. And, he, and, he, and he defended it and said, like, professionals can't tackle me. Yeah. No, he's been like great. He's, he's been great. Fa- he's been fantastic. I think it's a great... It's, it's, it's one of my favorite storylines of the Super Bowl. And the other thing, to me, about the Rams that's fun to watch is, is despite all the hype about this passing attack and this and that, blah, blah, blah... When, when you watch them, you realize how good that scheme is fundamentally, too. Yeah. Like, it goes way beyond, well, Goff can throw the ball, and they've got... Okay, that's part of it, but their offense and the personnel and its use is really, really impressive. It's a great example of it all coming together. Yes. They have a good offensive line led by one of the best left tackles of the last decade in Andrew Whitworth, who's their veteran leader guy, and they've got... Uh, the the offensive genius in Sean McVay who uses uh, it's funny that he talks about this that he didn't invent any of these plays but he uses so many different looks but designs them to look the same way and the way that he adapted to Mike Zimmer's defense he knew exactly what Zimmer's defensive rules were for players and how they had to handle certain things certain changes certain pass offs certain checks and then he just abused them. And that's where this matchup is going to be so great because you've got the weapons, you've got the players, and a quarterback in golf who can execute it all, and then a wizard who's calling the plays. But does he stick with what he's usually done? Does he make changes? Does he flip his running scheme to go power all of a sudden? Like, that's what makes this And Belichick really will be set for it, too. Yeah, of course. Yes. That's the thing about this. The, the game, okay, of all the playoff games, here's the one I don't get. And I watched it unfold, and I thought, idiots. The Chargers-Ravens game, right? The Chargers' defensive scheme was brilliant. It was great. Basically, do what you do, do what you do, but I'm going to throw safeties out there as linebackers, and I'm going to stop you. And you watch that, and you're like, "This is great." And then the Chargers play the Patriots, and it's like and a they different ran it right down their throat, and it's yeah. like a different coach. 
It's like, okay, you knew what the Patriots, you knew the Patriots were going to watch that film, right? And the Patriots were going to come and try and abuse what you did against Baltimore. But instead of adjusting to it, it was like, well, no, these are our principles now. I thought to myself, this is like a game coached by a different person. I didn't get it at all. Well, everybody thinks that Sean McVay is going to come out with all this trickery and wizardry and what he's done all season long. You don't think Bill Belichick's prepared for that? You don't think Bill Belichick has has a catalog of every single game that Sean McVay has coached just neatly lined up in his periphery right now? And he's going to be able to pull on that and be like, hey, we get it. You're 11 personnel. It throws off a lot of teams because you have like 10 different plays you can run out of one set. It's not going to throw me off because you know why? I've won nearly a do- nearly 10 Super Bowls. I was about to say a dozen, but I was like, what's what's 10? Like, what's, you know. A dozen is 12. A dozen is 12. I do know that. Go with eight or nine. <laughs> Thank you, Manny. I'll go with eight or nine. <laughs> um, but that, that's the thing. Like, you know, when you take a look at the storylines and, you know, David versus Goliath and all that stuff of Sean McVay, you know, the, the young kid on the block trying to prove himself that, you know, at 32 years old, he's going to win a Super Bowl. I mean, he's, let's not not give Bill Belichick some credit here. But I, Belichick I, doesn't want it. Like, Belichick loves this, right? McVeigh is the genius, and everyone's sure. talking about McVeigh. And, and Belichick just sits back. He's like, okay, this is great. This is exactly what I want. I'm and waiting in the wings. The reason that I think the Rams will win this game, though, is as much as Belichick is still Belichick, and Brady showed how accurate he can be, how well he can operate the offense, there were also so many times where the Chiefs should have won that football game and where you can look at the Chargers and how they just got abused on the defensive side with with the running game. And I don't think that that's going to happen to the Rams. I, I think that the Rams are a more talented team, but also that the Chiefs kind of gave them that game in a lot of ways. I mean, lining up offside for one, and then there, there were calls that uh, did not go their way as well. But when I watched Peyton Manning break down that Tom Brady tape, it really stuck out to me just how many mistakes the Kansas City Chiefs defense made. And the key guy to this entire thing might be Wade Phillips, who has been there so many times and is such a great defensive coach that it's not just the old Belichick who's had all this success and been around the league for a long time. Wade Phillips has as well. Belichick said something interesting about Wade Phillips' defense. He said that it's still the same Wade Phillips defense he's been using for a really long time, but there isn't an easy way to just solve it. That it's so solid and so good that he's been teaching it for so long that the players understand it and it's always been effective. That's the matchup that I'm really interested in here too. I think the fact though that that Belichick has everybody where he wants them right now too though. Everyone's talking about McVay and they think that the Rams are going to win. And these Patriots, they're not great, but they are and the genius, and I don't get this, and I've been talking about this all week, and I don't understand it, but it seems to be working. The genius of the whole thing led by Brady with, you don't believe in us. Like, you people are, in, like you just said, your 10th Super Bowl, and now you're pulling out this card, but it all works. It all works. And so, we, and so Collar's right. We talk about the Chiefs game, and, and the Patriots came close to not winning that game. But they did. And this is so Patriots. So I can't decide yet, but I'm almost le- leaning towards New England because of the fact that at least for one last time with Brady, they now are finally using the card that they used the first time around, and I don't think since then, which is, you don't believe in us. You don't think that we can win it. And as stupid as that sounds, and it's crazy, I think it damn well might work for them. I picked the Patriots to win this game. We had to, pick, we had to put our picks in, I think, on what was it like last Friday, last Thursday? I've got I, all the picks right here from I, here. I have them thirty four twenty six, which I know is probably Ooh. less. Not it's it's not as close. I think as most people would expect. I think honestly, one of the votes that I saw kind of circulating continuously here was thirty four thirty one. Um, I think what's the what's the over under on this game? Fifty six, fifty seven, something like that. They could hit. I think they will hit the over. Probably. I think it's going to be high scoring. Um, yeah. but I'm not betting against Tom Brady in this game. What's really Something that's going to catch my eye or that I'm really going to be looking close for is how do the Patriots use Stefan Gilmore in this game? Because the Rams really have two sort of 1B wide receivers. I don't look at Brandon Cooks or Robert Woods as a Julio Jones or an Antonio Brown, but they're both really excellent. It's a Thielen and Diggs type of thing that they're sort of underappreciated, but both really, really good. So there isn't that one receiver that you can just lock down and double team all day and take away. 
it's going to offer some different sort of problems here. And whether Gurley can come out of the backfield, you remember Corey Clement being a big guy last year for the Eagles against the Patriots. That's something that I think that the Rams can use to their advantage is that Mm -hmm. they have more than one of these really good wide receivers. And I do think it's going to end up being one of those back and forth, lots of scoring type of games. Well, I think also too, with, we talked about like 11 personnel and just how much they run it with um, the Rams. Mm -hmm. Like I think the play action game is going to be a really good stat. I think that's going to be huge for them. It's the Patriots. So here's a stat from ESPN stats and info. They allowed 62% of play action passes to be completed, which is sixth best in the NFL. It's the Patriots defense, but that's 9.0 yards per attempt on those plays, which is way towards the bottom. So in, in the postseason, that number has jumped up to about, you know, a first down each play action pass. And I think that when you're talking about Jared Goff and just the number of weapons that he has, that's the thing that like, you never know who who's it going to be this game. Is it going to be Tyler Higby? Right. I tend to think a lot of teams forget about Robert Woods that he plays on that team. Like that, yeah. that's he's yeah. he always at least especially when Cooper Cup was healthy, he was always like the third or fourth guy they just forgot to cover. So that to me is if you if you're the Rams, if you're looking to beat them, that's the key to doing it. Which coach runs the wackiest play, and what play do they? They run because I do think that this is going to be a little bit of an ego competition. Somebody's going to do something wacky. We, we saw the pass to Brady last year that failed, and then Peterson came back and had the touchdown pass to Foles. But one of these guys, at least, if not both, is going to do something that we don't expect. So, like, not like a tight end drag out of 22 yeah. personnel, like well, something like real wacky. Something really wacky, and the onside okay. kick is dead now. Yeah. So, it can't be that. Man. I the, don't think. The, fake field goal? No, hang on. Something. The, something. Su- the surprise onside kick is different from the from the end of game onside yeah, kick. Yeah, because you're not overloaded. That's true. The, the, numbers, the numbers on the surprise onside yeah, kick have no, not right. changed. So we might see that. Now, last year, them trying to run, the Patriots trying to run a pass to Brady was one of the worst decisions, I think, in football history. It went off his fingertips, right? It, it did. Third down play. He was wide open, but yeah. it's also Tom Brady. <laughs> You're throwing him a pass, and not at the goal line, which I would understand because right. all he has to do is catch it. But he's in a situation to be vulnerable, <laughs> reaching his hands up in the air. Uh, if they did that, I think that they've got at least one in him. Did Drew, just to clarify, did Drew Brees ever get a pass thrown in his direction this year when they would throw him out? Hmm. They would like no. flank him outside I don't think and so. like, put Taysom Hill? I don't want to okay. get dead. That's that's the, that's the was, right idea. That should never happen. I think he was taken off the field a few times. Yes. He was left on the field a in few times. In the NFC Championship game I where they had Taysom Hill in the yes. freaking red zone. It's like, put Drew Brees in. The Patriots, um, the pass that they threw to Brady last year in the Super Bowl, they had ran they ran that play a few years earlier, ironically, against the Eagles in regular season. I think Chip Kelly was coaching the Eagles at that time. But the, the, the Patriots ran that play against the Eagles, and it actually worked, and Brady picked up like... I don't know, 25 yards or something like that. So they probably thought, oh, yeah, well, maybe you can do this again, except Brady's like four years older right. and not quite as athletic as he was Manny, at that time. When was it that Brady threw a pass on like a screen and then the receiver threw it back to him and then he launched it down the field? Was that was that Moss? Was Moss on the team? Maybe. I, the point is like they Like against love, the Jets love, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, they love to bring that stuff out every so He'll often. He'll do something. Yeah. In this game with... with the McVay talk, Belichick's going to do something. I yeah. guarantee it. It's the one It's the one area where ego-wise, I think he can't control himself. And he's going to say, watch this young watch this young man. I'll show you how to play a little football. So I always think about this with the Patriots. How much does Belichick control on the offensive side? He doesn't say anything. and He's not going to tell you. So if you were like, hey, Bill, so how much do you talk with Josh McDaniels? Be like, a lot. You know, like, you know, if even that. Uh, but when Mike Zimmer mm-hmm. gets this criticism about being involved with the offense, not being involved with the offense, it seems like Josh McDaniels, for the last number of years, aside from the one year he was away, has been fully in control of that offense. So when we talk about what they're going to do on offense, it's really McDaniels and the continuity that they've able to have. And sometimes he gets a little too cute with certain things, but is also a brilliant offensive play caller. And it seems like even though Belichick maybe doesn't find the best guys who can go be coaches later, head coaches, he does always seem to have someone really brilliant calling the plays. I feel like everything gets filtered through Bill. I mean, he's the GM and he's the head coach, and of course. It's the reason why I say that the worst idea is is to get a job and be like, Patriots blueprint, here I come. 
I would love, I think it would be so intriguing to spend a year just seeing how that process plays out. Because I think that you, you would be left with your mouth agape about how, but I think everything goes through Bill. So McDaniels has ideas, and they're probably really good, and I think Bill takes them and tweaks them. So I think I think ultimately it all comes back to Bill, which most people just can't do. That's my opinion. I wish I knew. I mean, oh, I, so I, I. I wish I had a better feel for what Belichick does in terms of how he manages both sides of the ball because he was always a defensive coach. But you're right about, I mean, he is the, uh, going back to the Parcells sort of tree, the guy who spends... 19 hours a day grinding film and all that. So I, I have a tough time thinking he's not super involved with both sides. But as McDaniels has done so much and had so much success working with Tom Brady throughout the years, I think that it helps them a lot to have that same play caller, that same offensive mind. And it made me wonder about last year if somehow they had been able to keep Pat Shermer or if Giants had gone with someone else and Shermer stayed and worked with Kirk Cousins instead. What would that offense have looked like? Because it's, I see continuity all over the place on the offense with the Patriots where they bring in the one or two guys. They bring in the Cordero Patterson to fit, or they brought in Josh Gordon for a little while to fit. But for the most part, it's the offensive lineman, the offensive line coach, the play caller, the quarterback. They've got so much continuity all the time. I got a bizarre question. If they had told Pat, Pat, we will pay you millions to stay. Don't take the job. We will pay you $1 less than Zim, but you are our head coach offense. Do they still go sign Kirk? Does he say yes? Or, I'm keeping Keenum. Or does he say I'm keeping Case? Or does he say we? I don't want to keep Case, but I can go to this guy who, who's cheaper? Would, would he have looked at Cousins' film and at Cousins and said, that's my guy? Or would, would he have said, let's spend elsewhere offensively and I can take a quarterback and work with that player? I think he would have taken a look at the offensive line first. Because, I mean... If, if you know the writings on the wall that you're going to lose your veteran right guard, you're doing stuff at that point to mitigate that. And you could, if you don't spend the money on, on Kirk, you have $20, $25 million you can allocate, allocate on two interior linemen. So you don't have, so you have a good backup option for when Nick Easton goes down and you have somebody who's a viable option at right guard and then you don't have to, you know, you could move Mike Remmers back out to right tackle. I think that, you know, he was able to find that workaround last year in moving Remmers inside when he had to at the end of the season when, when Easton gets hurt and in and, and doing all of that. I think he understood the strengths and the weaknesses of his line. So to me, that would have been the primary focus there. And, you know, who's not to say that he would have been vouching, okay, I want to try to keep Keenum, but I also want to try to keep Teddy too and draft a guy. He also loved Sam Bradford, he which did. blew up in the Arizona Cardinals' face because he is shot and can't do anything with his knees anymore. <coughs> Excuse me. Getting Sorry, choked, choked down some air there. Yeah, I just I was. Oh, thinking, I thought you were choked up about I, Pat Sherman. I was thinking about Sherman. It's like oh, screen no. screen passes. <laughs> I was thinking of Sam Brad. You're crying over how much money Sam Bradford has stolen well, from teams. Um, at, le- at least he made his twenty million the one time he played uh, for the Vikings in in 2016. Yeah. But I, I, just with thinking about this question is interesting uh, because Shermer got so much out of Case Keenum. The question would be, would he vouch for Case Keenum and say, we can do that again? I right. believe we can. Or would he have seen it so up close and said, oh, man, those receivers bailed him out so many times. I don't think we could do that again. I think coaches would always go for the more talented player 95% of the time. I don't know if there was any way they truly could have known about Kirk Cousins and the way he would handle a locker room and things like that. You can't know that unless it's up close and personal. You're always going to have you could do some, research on some it. people, but you're always going to have some people who vouch for him endlessly. Kyle Shanahan loved him. Sean McVay loved him. I think the the coach of the team always wants the best and most talented player. But it's not really about that with Cousins. It's not whether he is the best and most talented player in comparison to Case Keenum. It's really about the contract. This is really a front office question because he's clearly better than Case Keenum at football. Right, but if you're Shermer and and you are basically designated head coach offense too, it's about salary cap and where, as as Courtney said, where can we improve or not improve? And if the quarterback's going to eat up all that salary and you don't think that he's the best choice, you are probably going to say, okay, if we do that, what happens at the guards? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you're... It's an interesting question. If you're Shermer, I think you're just saying, give me the best quarterback that we could possibly get. And that's what I'm going to want. And I also think if Shermer was the offensive coordinator, they are in the playoffs this year. 
and oh, yeah. that we probably would look at Kirk Cousins a little bit differently. Now, there were still things that I would always go back to as not John D. Filippo's fault. Like there were certain no shows, there were backward passes, there were receivers being left wide open 20 yards downfield. Right, but the organization did not put themselves necessarily in the best position offensively to succeed. And that's what we're talking about. What would have put them organizationally, what would have been the smartest thing from Spielman on down? That's the question that comes up here. And keeping Pat Shermer definitely would have been a step now in, in retrospect, in hindsight, in the proper direction. Can, can you have done it, though? Or could you have done it just in the sense that it's a head coaching job? There's 32 of them across the NFL. I think he'd he was been, going either way. He, probably he'd not. been a head coach before. Probably, probably, it's that itch you can't scratch. Probably not. But I think if you pay him enough and get him, if you if you sit him down with a bottle of really good wine and say, Pat, you are made, you're, you're Wade Phillips. You're made to be a coordinator. God put mm-hmm. you on this earth to coordinate. You know, sure. some people are coaches. Patch, I don't think a coach. I think he is a coordinator. Wade Phillips was. So I think if you had had that come to Jesus moment of truth, we're going to pay you millions. You're going to be rich. That you would have at least had a chance to have the starting point of the conversation. They could have maybe given him the coach and waiting job too. I mean, isn't that why Josh McDaniels is staying in in New England? I mean, he turned down the, he had the one interview with what, the Packers and that's it. And I think McDaniels has come to realize why he's successful. Yeah. So if you could get Pat to realize this is why I'm successful, and you know, plus Pat, you're going to New York. Yeah, I it's mean that that was that you. was he knew that though. I know. Like he ch- he chose to go to those wolves. Like that says his decision. All right, let's take a break. Purple Daily back after this on Score North. We're pinning our ears back. ScoreNorth.com. 2019 Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show is back February 8th through the 10th at the Minneapolis Convention Center. Grab your golf buddies. Check out the great deals on everything from drivers, irons, apparel to to, uh, early season golf passes and destination golf resort vacations. This year, you have two really cool ticket offers. The advanced online ticket offer includes 17 free green fee passes and a his or hers moisture wicking golf shirt. And new this year, the Up North VIP ticket, which includes a golf show ticket, two vouchers for the $100,000 pontoon putt, uh, one Nike performance pullover, and 18 holes with cart at the uh, Wilderness at Fortune Bay. Check out these offers and and the uh, new show details at minnesotagolfshow.com. That's the 2019 Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show. Thank you, Manny Hill, TCL Broadcast Studios. This is Purple Daily on Score North. Raised by Wolves is next. And you know what? Let's get to some basketball talk early here. All right, Cronin, you actually went to that freezing cold debacle at Target tonight. What the hell were you doing? (laughs) Freezing cold debacle. It had a great ending. That means it's a great game. It was a great game. It was a terrible game. It was a really, really bad game. This set basketball back by 10 years. That game is never going to be re-aired on NBA TV ever. (laughs) The most anticlimactic ending like, I mean, in the most anticlimactic buzzer beater, I'll yeah. give it that. Just okay. from the fact that, you know, Cat hits the shot, comes, he, you know, gets the rebound, hits the game winner, and then it's like. But weren't cool. you delighted because uh, it was done then? Yeah. My God, there could have been two overtimes. You, you had to watch that, you know, freeze on your way home after all that. No, sir. Yes. I watched the whole thing, and it was hideous. The first, it was the first Timberwolves so game I've watched uh, from start to finish this year, so I think that makes me an expert now. Oh. And the two of us were, like, getting into it on Twitter last <laughs> night. Um, well, I saw you tweeted cat exclamation point. I'm like, what's Cronin doing? Is she drunk? But I didn't realize <laughs> no, you were there. No, it was the game winner. I was jacked. I, th- I, I thought you had a bottle of red wine or something at home. You're like, ah, cat, this is great. <laughs> that game was... Basically, every Wolves Grizzlies game for like the last 10 years. I think that's how the Grizzlies have always wanted to play. Yep. Yep. Just Grizzly grind. basketball. Grind, yep. It looked like old school Big Ten football. <laughs> like 1975. Run up, run up the middle. Yes, run up the middle. <laughs> and, and the highly grind. questionable decisions at the end. Uh, Jared Bayless deciding on his own that, no, 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 Cat, I know you're one of the greatest offensive players <laughs> at your position in history, but you stand over there. I got this. And then Andrew Wiggins getting the ISO at the end, too, was like, was Ryan Saunders desperately hoping that Wiggins could be sparked by hitting a game winner? I don't like, think he Wiggins never saw the clock. I don't think he saw the clock either. According to 
like five seconds, and, and, and you can tell the crowd's getting into it, yes. and then he jacks up the ball, and then he's lucky that the rebound happened. Although, how about the the late uh, game-tying slam dunk by Cat and the design of that play oh, that was fantastic. by Young Out Ryan? Yeah. That, that looked like a football play. Okay, I'm not going to say that I'm really an expert on this, but like I've been... In all of my watching of the Timberwolves, it doesn't look like they have much of a design with their offense. It looks like the same thing that Tibbs ran, and it looks really bad. There is there is no rhyme or reason to this offense. I don't you understand come here it. And rip Ryan Saunders. <laughs> That's why you're here. I did say bring some hot takes for the show today. So that, had, that's your hot take. They've been shooting more threes, but last night they... They've got no point did, guards at this point. I yeah. mean... Everybody's hurt! I know they are. Every, that's what I think people, fans don't realize. Not that I'm like super involved and in tune. you've been to one game. Go ahead. You know. You're <laughs> but no, I mean, there's... You look at this team. Derek Rose is hurt. Yep. Um, how long has he been out for? Like two weeks? Is the ankle injury flaring up again? Week and I mean, a half, two weeks. Th- this yeah. is... This team is not what it was. I don't don't mean to sound like the expert here. This team is not what it was a few weeks ago. But hey, they're still like two game. They're one game uh, behind five hundred right now. You're like the guy who tweets us who's like, "Look, I played left guard in high school. And I know how valuable left guard." Hey, is, I used to okay? cover the NBA. This should give me some authority you to talk the about Golden this. State Warriors. I did. This is not the NBA compared no. to, to that. Okay, this no. is the CBA. I didn't pay attention to the NBA in two years. This is the CBA compared to that. Three and a half or uh, three games out of a playoff spot at the moment. Hey, yet yet there's 2,500 people at Target Center last night. That's embarrassing for an NBA game on a night where it's 25 below, below. They're lucky they had that many. What were it you was doing 25 there? below, Courtney, and they were playing the Grizzlies. If you were I gonna, don't want to hear any excuses. If you were going <laughs> to freeze your behind off last night to go to a game in town, I'd prefer to go to uh, Gophers Illini than that. Did they win? The Gophers? Gophers won. Yeah, the Gophers are back too. Hey. Come on, you gotta have have an opinion there, right? No, I have no opinion there. I hate Big Ten basketball. Wow, you went to Indiana, and they're awful this year, Judd. If you like looked at like a box score recently, they're terrible. (laughs) Thank you. I told you I was coming with them. All right, we're done. Raised by Wolves next. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.